My name is Mark McGowan, and you are listening to Inspire Radio. That you are at 8.23 <clears throat> on a Sunday morning here, Talking Sport with Horatio. Now, we move on to our first guest of the morning, and our first guest is Mitch Hardy. Now, Mitch is a former Wallaby, cap number 735. He's also part of the all-conquering ACT Brumbies squad in the late 90s. Um, now working with the Department of Local Government, Sport and Cultural Industries in WA, as well as being a very active member of the community sport, um, which we'll discuss a little bit later on. Um, also has his own podcast called The Rugby Rap. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Yeah, thanks, Sarazio. Nice to be on Talking Sport with you this morning. Thank you very much. Um, now, look, you've had a very long um, sort of career in rugby, both on and off the pitch, um, which is highlighted, I would have thought, by, um, you know, getting your, your becoming a Wallaby and playing for Australia um, and joining that illustrious club. Um, now, I've, I've, I've read up on um, your actual... Um, debut but I just thought it'd be great coming from your you know what what how how it felt for you like you know the day when bang you know you get presented your first jersey and all that sort of stuff well how was that yeah I guess yeah I get asked that a lot but um I guess you got to think about it like you know it's you know any any aspiring rugby player's dream is to go as far as you you can with with the code that you're playing and um you know for me it was about you know when I first started playing at Gordon Rugby Club in Sydney, um, in the early nineties, you know, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't have even thought that I was at first grade standard to to start playing there. But it's it's amazing how things unfold when you've got good players around you, you get good coaching, um, and then you 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 do the hard work on and off the field. So, um, you know, for me, the my journey sort of started back when I was playing for Gordon Rugby Club in the Colts when I was sixteen years of age, and and working through there, and and I made my first grade debut with Gordon at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until, you know, I was in my, my mid to early twenties that I actually started making representative teams. Um, you know, we had a very good um, side back then in the early nineties, we had a lot of Waratah and Wallaby players in there. And um, you know, that, that, that progression into the New South Wales development squads. Um, I went on a bit of a tour with the Waratahs in 1994 um, had a couple of caps with the the main team, which um, which was great on a New Zealand tour when which was uh, then the Super Rugby Ten yep. or the Super Tens. Um, so had a couple of caps way back then, and then when they announced the ACT Brumbies um, team came about, there was a lot of guys that I'd played with in the New South Wales Bees. Um, there was a lot of guys at uh, the various other Sydney clubs there that. You know, I was good mates with because we played against us, each other for many years. And Rod McQueen, who was the appointed coach of the Brumbies, um, he was a very smart operator, very well respected in, in New South Wales rugby circles in particular. And he was able to pull together a very unique uh, group of players um, from, from Queensland, ACT and New South Wales. Um, and I guess the the ACT team at the time, they had some – they were guns. They, they had the George Gregans and the Joe Roths coming yeah. through. Um, and then at that point of time, there was a bloke called Stephen Larkham. He was playing second grade for the the Kookaburras, the Canberra Kookaburras in the yep. in the Sydney comp. So um, socks so down you, even in those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you had sh- yeah, shirt out, socks shirt down. Out. Yep. Looked a treat. Little skinny, <laughs> little skinny eighty kilo whippet he was. Um, but yeah, so we were able to. I guess what he was able to do is is get really good people around him, and um, I think he was able to 
you know, provide the opportunity to players like myself and, and others and plus bring in some experienced players and, and he was able to mould a really good um, outfit. And I guess we created a really positive culture where it was welcoming to young blokes. It didn't matter where you'd come from and what your background was. It was very welcoming. We had a couple of Tongans um, part of that group as well. So, you know, it, w- it was a real mixed bag. And we had uh, Argentinian Patricio Noriega join the group as well. Um, who added a bit of colour to it all. Yep. Um, but, you know, so, you know, first couple of years of Super Jeez, Rugby Canberra was Canberra would fantastic. have been a bit of a shock to the system for those guys. I mean, the Tongans would have froze, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, well, there's actually, there's a big Tongan community down there. So um, they, uh, they play out at Queanbeyan yep. in, in Canberra. So, you know, there was that part of the community that makes those Queen sort of guys actually back in New South Wales, isn't it? That's over the bridge. <laughs> but... Um, but, you know, I think um, what we're able to do down there, the Brumbies, there was a really good groundswell of support. Mm-hmm. The, all the punters used to come out to Bruce Stadium and, and watch the guys. And I guess the success of 96 and then making the the final in 97 um, saw the onset of a lot of Brumbies starting to make the Wallaby team. Yep. Um, and then, you know, I guess form, you know, like all things, you like to think that if you're playing good good football, if you're in form, you get rewarded for that. So... I was lucky enough to get rewarded with um, a selection just prior to the first test against the French that year at the Sydney Football Stadium. I got a I got a call midweek that Matt Burke had um, strained his groin, mm-hmm. um, and then I was called into the squad as uh, to sit on the bench. And uh, uh, you know the game was progressing, and Steve Mark uh, Steve Larkin was playing fullback at the time. He got a, a smack in the mouth. Um, and so he had to come off for blood bin. So on I went to cover him for a, as a blood bin replacement. Um, Joe Roth slotted back to fullback and I went on the wing. Um, and, yeah, first touch of the football, I was a few metres out from the try line and was able to evade a couple of would-be French defenders and slip over <laughs> for my first try, which was really exciting. It's like, oh, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> um, and then now you, you, know, you jog back to halfway and the, the game sort of progresses a bit from there. But... Um, my second touch was actually um, off the back of a, a break from young Ben June, and he, he was a fantastic footballer in his time and um, terrific winger for Australia. And he he towed a ball ahead, and I sort of just chased after it and was able to. It sort of evaded him, and I was able to put the foot to the ball and tow it over the try line and um, put a hand to it. And there was my second try. And as I was jogging back to halfway, the, the trainers come out and said, "Oh, Steve Larkin's coming back on, mate. You're done." <laughs> so. Um, so I trottled off and I trottled off to the bench and I couldn't work out whether or, whether or not the crowd was cheering me or booing the coach. It was a bit hard. To, it was a bit hard to tell, but uh, Greg Smith was the coach of the Wallabies in 97. And um, unfortunately he got moved on at the end of that year and Rob McQueen took over. Yep. Um, and from there I enjoyed a couple of, you know, two, three, four great tours with the Wallabies. Probably didn't play a lot of test match football because it was, it was such great depth during that, that time of Australian rugby. And and to be honest, it was an honour to be able to just even be in the same squad as guys like Tim Horan, Jason Little. You had Steve Larkin, as I say, Joe Roth, Ben Schoen. Yeah. Legends um, of the game, aren't they? Matt Burke, you know, they're all really well internationally regarded yeah. players. And, and just to be just to be training alongside those guys, being able to have, you know, be mates with them as well, um, is just, you know, it's a very proud moment of my life and something that I'll cherish and you know, all those friendships I cherish as well. And I'm, I'm still really close with a lot of the guys. You know, I caught up with Pat Howard the other day, who is a terrific, terrific centre for Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know, there's there's guys scattered all around Australia, which which I have regular catch ups with, which where we all played with the, with and against each other during that '90s period of of Australian rugby, which really led up to that '99 World Cup where they won the World Cup. Yep. Um, unfortunately, I had shoulder surgery that year, so. I missed out on being in the squad um, due to a, a shoulder injury that I had in that Super Rugby season. But um, and after that, I finished up uh, with the Brumbies after five years and 29 years of age, and thought there's an opportunity to play overseas. I'll take it, and I uh, ended up in France, uh, playing a couple of years in France, and um, that's that's where I sort of wound out my career. I had a couple of injuries over there with my knee and what have you, and you know thoroughly enjoyed my two years there with a club called Breve. And then, then got into the game development side of things from there. Yeah, and that that's where um, you you sort of uh, well, I guess you moved and all sorts of things. You, you had roles all over Australia. Um, you, you moved over to WA, um, took on some things there. Just wanted to go back a little bit though. Um, so yeah. I just wanted like a, a line I got off off. Um, it was classicwallabies dot com. Um, just talking about that debut in your game. So it said. Um, so in the 60th minute, he ran on as a blood bin replacement for Steve Larkham. So I'm trying to build it up a bit here because you sort of just, you know. Glossed over it. <laughs> you glossed over it. Nine minutes later, um, nine minutes later, he received the ball five metres or so out from the French line. He stepped both ways, ghosted through four defenders. You said a couple and scored. And then three minutes after his first try, capitalised on some excellent lead-up work from Ben Tune, which you acknowledged uh, to – to score his second try after a dribble. So um, that, I think it builds it up a little bit more rather than I had just lucky enough, got past a couple of blokes and scored a try. I think we've got to, we've got to build it up a little bit more than that. Um, yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, but what, what are, you know, it's probably one of the wonderful things about that night is that you walk out of the, you walk out of the change rooms after the game and you're seeing your mates from school and yeah. the mates from the rugby club and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's, 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 it's really surreal thinking that oh, you just played a game in front of 40,000 people and you're walking out and you're, you're hanging out with the, the guys that you normally have a beer with on a Saturday yeah. night. So it was <laughs> – and everyone, you know, everyone asked you, do you go out and celebrate? Did you do this? And I said, no, actually, I just got in the car and went home and had been, went back home <laughs> with the wife and enjoyed the night. I didn't really go out to this 5 a.m. and celebrate yeah. and end up in nightclubs and all that sort of stuff. Um that was probably yeah. It was just like wow. I'll just go home and just relish this and just soak it up. <laughs> yeah. When did it hit you that like, you know, like hell? I'm I'm a wallaby. Like, <laughs> I've I've uh, you know yeah. you, you it's an illustrious club and it's it's a you know it's one of the you know you think of all the teams that we've got in Australia. You know, there's the Australian cricket team, but being a wallaby is is a big big thing. It must have like at some stage it must have gone. You know, hell, I'm. Well, it's it's yeah, it's interesting. Like they have jersey presentations um, before every Wallaby yep. match, and obviously when you're making your debut, you get you get your given, and they say if you get your jersey, and they say a few nice words about you. Um, this one probably is something I, I, I do tell people that you know I we're all in the team room before the match, they're handing out the jerseys. Um, gets to me, and the coach sort of says, "Oh, you know, Mitch Hardy." Um, potential debut tonight. Um, congratulations! Uh, I always thought you were a good club player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, wish you all the best. And that was about it. Like he was a real dry. So he didn't give you much, Greg Smith, as a coach. Yeah. Not thinking, oh, geez, is that the best? Is that the nicest thing you can say about me, Greg? Jesus. <laughs> um, anyway, so and I, and I guess you know that you, you get that sometimes where you know. You might be like I wasn't a Ben Tune and I wasn't a Joe Roth. I just 
I just didn't have those attributes those those guys did. But um, what I probably prided myself on is is doing the hard work and making sure that um, I did my job on the football field and and contributed to whatever the team outcome was for that for that purpose. And you know, I you know I was able to pick up a lot of tries over my time through intercepts and things like mm-hmm. that. We saw a couple of intercepts last night from Will Jordan uh, for the All Blacks, and you know I think. If you can read the game well and you can run good lines off players and make your tackles and not drop the ball and chase the kicks hard and do all those things that, that you know, I had a really good coach back in Gordon, Dougal Clark um, and Chris Hawkins. And, and, you know, the first thing they ever taught me was just do the simple things really well. Because um, if you can do the simple things really well, you can build build other aspects of your game. Because um, I was never the fastest player and I certainly was never the biggest um, but what I probably prided myself on is doing the, the simple things really, really well and not make mistakes. And then as I, as I you know, put the work in to get a, couple, mm-hmm. a little bit faster or develop a step yeah. here or, you know, read the game well, um, you, you generally find that they're the things that the coach is looking for. If they've got a bit of flair in the back line already, they're looking for someone who's, who's going to do the job yeah. and work hard. So, yeah, so I tried to... Tried to shape my game around that side of things, I suppose. And, you know, it's probably wasn't something that was going to keep me at that sustainable test level um, because it is a big jump up from Super Rugby. But um, I, I had five terrific years playing for the Brumbies, you know, 50 odd, about 50 matches I think I played a lot for the ACT Brumbies and about 40 of those was were um, Super Rugby caps and we had a couple of tours with them and invitational games, you know, games against the All Blacks, Wales. That type of thing yeah. with the ACT, and um, I got the two of the world, which was just fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing what sport, sport can rugby. do, isn't it? And give you those those sort of opportunities, especially international sports such as rugby, um, to to provide those opportunities to see different parts of the world playing a game. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's amazing. And whether it's, whether it's a club tour or you're touring with your school or um, touring with a rep team, is I mean, going on a rugby tour is just the best fun. Like it is just fantastic. Yeah. You have you, you only meet you only don't only meet fantastic people but you you just have a ball and it's just such a great experience yeah um you know and i've been on tours of you know all over the place um one of my favorite tours was back with gordon we went to hawaii one year and we we're all <laughs> we're all 18 we're all 18 year old colts going on tour to hawaii so you can imagine how that was um but <laughs> But um, yeah, that was a bit of fun. We went we went to Japan a couple of times with the ACT Brumbies, yep. and um, that's where the the links with Eddie Jones came about. <clears throat> so I guess that's the other big thing about rugby is the networks it creates as well. Yeah, like, um, as you're doing all these things and playing the games and going on these trips, the network the networks that it creates is fantastic. Yeah, I, I can I can I can sympathise with that. Um, with cricket, it's brought me all over the world and. Um, I've got good friends all over the world, and it's it's just great. And that wouldn't have happened without without my sport, which is cricket, um, and obviously with yours with rugby. Now the the Brumbies, um, I, I remember them growing up, especially that period where where you were part of them, and sort of a, a new club coming out of, well, not rising from the ashes, I guess, but um, you know, a new club on the scene. But but straight away they made a made an impact, and I've spoken to some other people that were part of the same um, era as what you were there. And there was just something special about the Brumbies, wasn't there? There was something special with the setup, and it might have been luck with the group of people, or. But what was it? What was that special thing that the club had? Well, you know, I think coming out of the amateur into the professional area, you, you had everyone who was amateur but with a professional attitude. Yep. And I think that 
that plays a part. Obviously, I mentioned earlier that Rob McQueen put some really good people around him as well. Mm-hmm. Very good strength and conditioners, assistant coaches, um, medical staff, and, and so forth. Um, but then when when the, we were shaping up the game plan, it was very much a player-driven game plan and, and it was based on some very um, key fundamentals of the game. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we were trying to be innovative. So, so coming up with new plays um, because – because rugby these days is the same plays everyone's playing, but they're just played in different ways and called different things. But I think what we tried to do at the Brumbies was create, create, you know, as backs, we tried to create some starter moves off, off scrums and lineouts, which were innovative and mm-hmm. moves that other teams wouldn't have seen before. Um, you know, we had a couple of moves there where I was packing in as a blindside flanker, for example, and we were standing in number eight and finning it out, out at inside centre just to something different. And then we had another move where, you know, we'd all line up, you know, straight behind the scrum um, and break out to the left or right and play a, play a move and all this sort of stuff. So we were, we were coming up with new ways of doing things and, and new ideas, mm-hmm. um, which I think everyone found refreshing, but it was also just the way we, we, we played with the ball in hand and the kicking games through David Knox and the, and the like was, was very enjoyable to watch. Um, we tried. We did a lot of homework on opposition, and probably the, you know, rugby wasn't geared that way early on in the piece in the nineties. It yep. wasn't. There wasn't a lot of homework done on opposition. We did a. We spent a lot of time dissecting what the opposition and then were you doing to and where set the up your game were. plan to to counteract that. Plan. I guess. Yeah, set our game plan up around that, and and our whole objective was to score tries. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had we had Johnny Muggleton as our defence coach there for a bit, and you know that was very important that we set up good defensive systems, but. Um, we really did pride ourselves on on attack and being able to score and dominate and keep that scoreboard um, ticking over. And I think um, that's what people enjoyed. So they came on to watch, and you know, we became you know everyone's second favorite, if not favorite, team in Australia. Yeah, so to speak. I remember having having a bit of merch as well. I had the, a couple of the Brumbies tops and all that sort of stuff. I was sort of following him. Coming from growing yeah, up in they, Melbourne, they, rugby yeah. wasn't that big a game, you know what I mean? Like for, for, you know, I grew up in an AFL sort of era, um, but rugby was starting to build up a bit. And, um, you know, the team that I, I know I got on, I thought, well, the Brumbies, they look like the team to jump on board with. So, you know, got myself a few jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why not? Well, you got to start somewhere, don't you? Why not? Absolutely. I mean, you you think, you think of all the beer sponsors and all that sort of stuff out there. Our sponsor was milk. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so straight away you got a point of difference. Yeah. And I think the brand you're right, the branding and that sort of stuff around the Brumbies and the you know, the snowy mountains yeah. and all that sort of stuff was was a good uh, good way of embracing the ACT and showcasing the region as well. Yeah. It's um people related to it. And you had a you know, a, a very successful rugby league team in, in the town as well. So that, you know, I know yeah, League Union yeah, different yeah, games, but but essentially it's still absolutely. rugby in a roundabout way. You know what I mean? So you're still, it's good. You know, and again, that was sponsored by milk too. I think <laughs> on their tops as well, <laughs> which I don't think much milk would have been drunk by those boys anyway. Um, no, no. So you spoke, and it's a great segue into what I was going to ask. Um, so your experience in in high level sport, um, and you do that professionally. You've done that through administratively with with rugby, and then your your current work now networks. Um, how important do you think that is in a in an athlete's role, athlete's life now? So you're, you know, you got some young, you know, you got some young boys that are doing well on their own in their own right in sport and cricket and, and in rugby. Um, the network around the athlete, like for me, 
I just think no matter how talented the athlete is, if they don't have the network around them, it's going to be pretty hard to to have any sort of sustained success. What yeah. are your thoughts and, on that? Well, yeah, I, I think it's really important that young people have mentors. Yeah. Um, and w- whether you call it networks, mentors, connections, whatever, we're all talking about the same thing. So, yeah. you know, for me having, um, you know, your coach, your coach is only going to do so much for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to have that, critical friend, if you like, that you can talk through the finer points of the game with, um, be able to train with, uh, discuss certain aspects of, of, of your game or your, your your performance with is really important in my view. And not just to have one one of those, but two or three of those sort of people around you that you can call on to have a chat to. Yep. Um, and and either use them to, to build your confidence or use them to get yourself better at whatever you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because they've always got fresh ideas, you know, trying to find someone who's potentially been there and done that, um, which a lot of coaches have or have not done. So sometimes you'll end up with these, you know, uh, I call them textbook coaches, which, you know, they're really good coaches, but they don't understand what's happening on the on the field of play or, or what you're experiencing out in the middle because they've never experienced it themselves. They're really good coaches as far as the technical aspects of the game because they've read it in a book. But, you know, they, they, they're not good because they haven't um, – they're not good mentors because they haven't actually – can't relate to what the athlete's experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to have people like that around you, um, of, you know, different ages and gender and whatever, um, because it's it just gives you that perspective on life and also just someone to talk about something other than the sport itself because yep. it can be a bit all-encompassing sometimes to talk just about rugby or just about cricket mm-hmm. you need to have someone who can you can sit down and talk about life with and what's happening in the world yep um so i think i think that's great and then but you know those those people can be your friends from school or or outside of that but i think it's really important to have that um life outside of your sport where you can connect and think about you know well when my sport's finished what am i doing what am i doing with my life as far as a career goes what are the type of things I, I want to learn more about in the world as far as study goes? Um, so that it's it's not a burden on on the athlete to everything's then banked on the performance. It's 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 a bit more broader than that. It's about your personal development over a longer period of time. And I think getting that balance is really tough for young people because there's a lot yeah. of pressure on them to perform and you know the professional environment. You've got to do so well, and if you do well, you're going to get paid money and all those sort of things, but I think you've got to have that balance as you go through, and it's and it's pretty tough. But I think having good people around you is really important, and you, you and then you can use those networks and people for later in life. But when you are, um, you know, starting a career or you know working in business or working in the you know the commercial world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now that that transition from athlete into administrator for yourself, uh, did you find that hard, or was it a, a, a sort of seamless move? Uh, it, it was kind of seamless for me because I was lucky enough that, you know, I, I used my networks and, yeah. and when I came back from France, I went back to my rugby club, Gordon, and um, the guy there who's uh, Chris Hawkins was a great mentor of mine. He was not only a coach, but he ran <clears throat> ran the business there as mm-hmm. well, the business side of things, the licensed club. So I was able to um, work through him and he, you know, he set me up to do some game development type uh, programs for Gordon, which, you know, was a very big area in the North Shore of Sydney there, looking after you know, 3,000 juniors and all the rest of it and all the junior clubs. And so I really enjoyed that. Is it entry level 
um, delivering coaching courses and referee stuff and yep. game development for the for the juniors through there and did a bit of coaching as well. Um, and when I did the coaching, I always coached with um, an older person who'd, who'd been around a bit and I had some really good uh, mentors there. I did a bit of work for New South Wales rugby as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to start off there and then, you know, I did that for a few years and then there was an opportunity to then start to run the Gordon Rugby Club itself. So, again, Chris was um, um, instrumental in mentoring me, excuse me, <coughs> mentoring me in that area. Um, you know, and that's when I started working on, you know, being able to, being able to attract sponsors to a club, uh, running the budgets, uh, looking at the membership structures, game day experiences, events, um, and obviously recruitment, retention of players, recruitment of coaches. And all the like. So that was really, I really loved that role. It was full on. It yeah. was full on seven days a week, six in the morning to 10 at night sort of stuff. But um, it was a fantastic role. And, you know, I was able to set things up like academies and things like that for the club, um, engage some really good people and take the learnings from what I'd done and playing sense into that administration sense. Mm-hmm. And then um, when the Western Force was announced over here in 2005, I saw that as a career progression opportunity to be involved with a, a franchise from the startup. Yeah. Just like I was with the, as a player. I thought that'd be great. I've experienced as a player. I'd love to experience that as an administrator. Um, so as you know, I put my hat in the ring to come over here and work as part of the community rugby team for rugby WA when the Western force started up. Especially in a, in a, you know, a non rugby town, really Perth. I mean, um... yeah, well, yeah, a lot of people say that, but there's actually a really big, groundswell of community rugby here you know there's a lot of clubs that have got long traditions you know 80 80 plus year 100 year traditions mm-hmm. over here in perth um it's probably not you know as as dominant as your afl and yeah. soccer's and the basketballs of course but there's, there's always been a really good community rugby base here and and very passionate people and wa's got a very proud history as a as a rugby state now i think a lot of people forget that mm-hmm. um but you know, there's, you know, it's a great rugby community over here with some fantastic clubs, and you know, it was a it was a pleasure to be able to work with those people and the volunteers to be able to, to be able to develop the game here off the back of having a franchise, which they were so excited about when they got it. And it was highlighted, I guess, that the rugby community, how it came together when um, you know that unfortunate period where. Um, the force were, were cut from from Super League and, and things like that, and I, I know you you voiced a strong opinion because you're part of it, obviously. Um, you know, we won't necessarily go into that, but it, it highlighted the fact that you know rugby is, uh, you know, does have a strong following, does have tradition, does have roots, um, and to sort of see that, you know, that it didn't just fall over; they 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 kept going, kept plugging away, and um, yeah, it was yeah, it, it sort it of, was more of a financial. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Rugby Australia made a financial decision. They didn't make it. And I, and I keep saying this when we're talking about stuff on the rugby route, we always we always talk about you've got to make decisions for rugby, you know, Australian rugby, not Rugby Australia. Yeah. So, you know, that is a perfect example is because it was a financial decision, they made the, the decision for Rugby Australia. They didn't make it for Australian rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's where I think it fundamentally fell down and that they ignored the participation base, the pathways and the footprint and just purely made it based on financial yeah. figures. Which, which was quite strong and still is strong, isn't it? The 
the the, the well, footprint. Well, I won't go. Oh, the footprint is. Yeah. I'm not sure about the finances. Oh, well, the finances are a lot stronger now. Twiggy's involved. Yeah, yeah. Then, well, so but great. that's that's sport as a whole, really. I mean, we've found now oh, more than ever, um, professional sport in Australia hangs by a thread. Um, you know, yeah, we're, we're a very small Even country. So. We're a very small yeah. country. We've got a very small population, really, and we try to um, we keep looking overseas and beyond looking at your Americas and the UK and Europe and all that sort of stuff, but their population, you know, they, they monster us. So, um, yeah. to, yeah, once, once, uh, obviously the pandemic hit and the, the repercussions of all that, we, we saw how thread, you know, how fine a line we, we tread really as a professional sport here in Australia, no matter how big we think we are, we're, we're not really. <laughs> yeah. We're very fragile. Yeah. It doesn't take much to push it over the edge. Um, and you know, COVID was very challenging for a lot of, lot of those codes and yep. you know it's it's going to take some time for for all those codes to financially recover definitely definitely and, and to find the new normal i guess um yeah so you know hopefully we're all we're all going to be along this bumpy ride together but we can all come through the other side now i just wanted to it was a great little segue you sort of just briefly mentioned your podcast uh, the rugby rap um yes. how, how, how did that come about well i got my good mate of mine mick collis um he's a terrific, got a terrific sort of uh, inventive and imaginative brain, and um, he's a poet and marketing executive, and he's uh, he's the uh, CEO of Australian Sudoku, and he, you know he tells his um, Australian Sudoku story where he went up to India with his mates to do his Sudoku. So um, you know he's he's a fantastic guy, and we were sitting around having a beer one day, saying, oh, what could we do to you know give rugby a bit of a boost in the arm over here now that the force are back. We really mm-hmm. should be trying to promote that across the country because we're not sure that, you know, it's getting the, I guess, the recognition or the respect it deserves. Yep. So we thought, well, why don't we try this podcast thing? We've heard podcasts are the, the, the popular thing these days. We'll give it a, we'll roll it up and give it a go. So we, we grabbed Heath Tessman, who was a current Western Force player, and we mm-hmm. thought, well, we've got to have the West, someone from the Western Force yeah. to represent <laughs> there. So, and then basically we, we set up a bit of a rough format. Uh, one hour shows every Wednesday night where we talk a little bit about what's happening locally, a little bit about what's happening all around Australia, and then we try and put a bit of a, a slant on it to, to showcase something in WA or, or showcase an aspect of the game. Yep. So then we just started doing the shows, and we went back to our networks. We started thinking about, well, who'd be a really interesting guy or girl to, to bring on the show, chat, chat rugby, chat topics and things that people might be interested in that might be being talked about at the bars around the place and the rugby clubs around the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just started the show and yeah, we've grown it now to um, over a thousand followers. And I think we get two or three downloads a week, which they tell me is pretty good for podcasts. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so look, it's, it's really enjoyable just to be able to just break out and just talk a bit of rugby and uh, mix, mix very entertaining. And he's, brings that different aspect to things as well. And we've had some terrific guests on that have been really interesting people to talk to. And it just showcases how broad rugby is across the country. Yep. Um, and I guess one common thread throughout all that is every guest we've had on, no matter where they've been from or what their background, they've always been very, um, very respectful of what WA has been able to do for rugby and, and supported it, you know, and support their inclusion into whatever Australian rugby decides. Mm-hmm to do rugby Australia decides to do in the future. So it was able to recognize that and, you know, and if people can listen to it once a week and have a bit of a think about what's going on in, in the world of rugby, then that's a good thing. And we've had some really interesting guests on 
across the year, and I think we've thoroughly enjoyed it, and we'll probably do it again next year. Yeah, as as we are here on Talking Sport with Horatio here on Inspire Radio, Gavin, yourself, Mitch, and I've got um someone that you know we we met uh, together recently, or Greg High coming on a bit later on as well. Yeah, I um, saw that. Yeah, no, yeah. Greg will be a really interesting guy to have a chat to yeah. as he transitions out of professional career into, into... his uh, business career as well at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that'll be that'll be a good one. Now before we before we leave, now I just want to sort of highlight your you, you you know you've still got an involvement in community sport. You know down at Leaderville Cricket Club. Um, interesting to know how you went yesterday, <laughs> mate. We we batted yesterday and I was not required because we had a really good day with the bat. So <laughs> I, I think I had to put the whites on there at one stage, but they they didn't require my batting prowess. And I keep telling the boys that they've. They've got a case of amnesia and forgotten how good a bat I am, and they've got to stop batting me at ten or eleven. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I do, I do enjoy community sport. I'm still connected around the rugby club scene with UWA Rugby Club as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Leadable Cricket Club, yeah, they're, they're a great bunch of guys down there. That you know, the, the club down there hosts eight senior teams. They've got um, female cricket going on a Thursday night, where a lot of the mums come along and have a game. They've got girls' teams and they've got kids' teams all the way from the T20 Blast all the way through to the 17s. And it's, you know, it's a fantastic cricket club down there. Really good setup uh, down at Britannia Reserve. And, um, yeah, it's just a real diverse group of guys from all over Perth coming into Britannia there. And we're playing up in the northern suburbs comp. And I really enjoy – I probably – it's not so much the game I enjoy about the cricket these days. It's more just the social, the social camaraderie. We'd be able to get out on a Saturday, and, you know, have a bit of banter and and have a have a cold beverage at the end of the day, and you know, catch up with people. Yeah, and and it plays a big role. I mean, I guess um, in in your life, I mean, to you know, you wouldn't still be doing it if it didn't mean something. So um, it obviously gives you great entertainment, great camaraderie, um, great for your mental health, all all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I've just got to. I've just got to stop telling myself that I'm as good as I used to be, and maybe just pull myself <laughs> down a couple of pegs. I, I can't bowl as fast as I used to. The body doesn't hold up so well. So yeah, Sundays are a bit. Feels like I've had a game of rugby on Sundays now, when I get up from having a game of cricket the day before. Yeah, you got to learn how to bowl spin now. That's that's the the way. Oh, I yeah, I'm working on that. I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then when you do get a chance with the bat, just swing hard and hit the ball as far as you can. Yeah. Well, what I, what I found surprising, though, is community sport, everyone was a bit worried about COVID and the summer sports mm-hmm. being impacted. But I think I think it's had the opposite. I think a lot of people have rebounded really well into summer sports and they're out and about and, and been re-energised and said, look, I'm, I'm going to volunteer, I'm going to re-sign. You know, the club needs me. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've found an increase in participation down in our club and, you know, anecdotally from around the regions, where we're working with um, the department is, yep. you know, summer sports looking pretty good at the moment. I suppose the proof will be when we roll around to the winter sports season and whether or not we can attract those yeah. people back. But yeah. anecdotally, people are energised. They're out and about doing a lot of outdoor recreation activities now. Definitely. Um, and, yeah, I think the community has rebounded really well from that COVID period. Definitely, definitely. That, that's where I've been saying as well that I think we'll get a better grip on where things are this time next year. I think we'll we'll have had two seasons, summer and winter sports, and we'll sort of have an idea of where we really are and um, what the real effect was. Because um, even in the winter, I mean, some of the sports that had a you know small break, obviously forced upon them, but they they found a way to you know get back out there as soon as they were allowed to. Others struggled a little yeah. bit, but. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll work that out. I think as we we go along, I don't think there's a formula necessary. It's just uh, 
hard work and, and determination. Yep, sport. It's a pretty much a sport and ethos, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we remember the big one this week. The Wallabies will wind up their rugby championship campaign against the Argies this weekend um, coming. So that'll be an interesting finale to what's been a very long season of rugby. Yep. <laughs> so uh, the All Blacks the had All Blacks had a pretty good win against the Argies last night. They they um, they finished well. The All Blacks. So yep. Bounce back from their defeat the other week. So it'll be interesting to see how the RGs now back up and uh, take on the Wallabies next week. Yeah. Well, they weren't going to w- lose three in a row, were they? The the All Blacks, I don't think. No. 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 They, they mean, wouldn't be allowed back in the country. No. Two two in a row was enough. <laughs> three in a row would have. Um, uh, yeah, I think you're right. They would have been lynched. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, okay, yep. so I like to finish uh, with all my guests with a little speed round. So there's just five questions. You've just got to answer as quick as you can. Um, right. Yep. All right. So, question number one: most famous person you met? Oh, it's John Eels. Okay, the big man. Um, your favourite sporting moment? Uh, uh Wallaby Dabu. Okay, Sydney or Perth? Sydney. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, seeing you played uh, a couple of sports, scoring a winning try or taking five to win the match. Scoring winning try. <laughs> and my final one that goes to everyone, pineapple and pizza, yes or no? Yes. Again, it's it's amazing. Yeah. It's yes to everybody, even though yeah, there's like a, a bit of, big thing where people go, oh, no. A lot of people don't like pineapple and pizza that I eat pizza with, but I, if I had an option, I'd have it on there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mitch. Well, thanks for being on the show this morning. I've really enjoyed our little chat, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. And um, I hope no, I can get you back great. on the show at some stage. Yeah, and, pleasure, Raz. Yeah, yeah, really enjoyed it. And for everyone out there, tuning into the Rugby Wrap, available and presuming on all your normal podcast stores? I believe so. I don't know a lot about it, but my te- technical expert, Mick, Tollis has got it all covered, and I believe it's available, yeah. Okay, so the rugby wrap there for a bit of Wednesday fun. Uh, drops Wednesdays, is that right, every episode? Yeah, usually yeah, usually Wednesday evenings, Thursday mornings. There's about 35 episodes on there at the moment, so yep. plenty plenty of listening pleasure. So you can do a bit of catch-up and then and then get up to um, be yeah. up to date with uh, what's happening in the world of rugby with a bit of a laugh. Yeah, yep. <laughs> okay, Mitch, thanks a lot for your time. Good on you, Razia. Have a good day. Okay, that was Mitch Hardy there, um, former Wallaby, and uh, doing very well there in the world of sport. Okay, we'll just go to another song there. We'll go to a bit of Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. For the community, Inspire Radio.